This is the weekly Parsha Shior with Rabbi Chaim Bravender of Atid and WebYeshiva.org. Recorded live in Jerusalem at Beit Knesset Haramban. Visit www.webyeshiva.org for live interactive online shiurim today. What I'd like to uh, discuss tonight um, is the role that miracles play in the sins and the flaot play in uh, Yitziat Mitzrayim and starting from Moshe Rabbeinu his connection to Nisim Nuflaot you know that the Rambam <coughs> the Rambam says on the night of the Seder our obligation is to tell of the Nisim Nuflaot that's what the story is about the miracles but <coughs> when we look at the Chumash we're not sure exactly what the role that the miracles played was. We'll see in next week's parasha, not Vaera, but in Bo, <coughs> that the miracles largely were unsuccessful. That Moshe Rabbeinu came to Paro and said to Paro, this is what's going to happen. And it happened. And Paro's heart was hardened, which means that he didn't, he wasn't impressed by the miracle. As remarkable as the miracle was, he was not, he was not impressed. And when did that start, this not being impressed by the miracles? So if you look at the sheet, <coughs> the first, uh, uh, the first section is from last week's parasha, the parasha of Shemot. And the psukim start and say, Vayan Moshe Vayomer, Vehen lo yaminu li. Hashem offers Moshe Rabbeinu the job of leading B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. And strangely enough, Moshe Rabbeinu has issues he doesn't want the job. The first reason that he gives is the lo ya minu li. I mean, you know, I'm not tall, I'm not dark, I'm not handsome, I'm not charismatic. I'm going to go and tell them they're not going to pay any attention to me. lo ya minu li. li. Ki lo Hashem. So, here we have the echo of the problem of prophecy. Prophecy. A prophet comes to B'nai Yisrael and tells them something. But how does he tell them that he's a prophet? So, the Torah says, he has to do a miracle. (coughs) He has to do a miracle. If he asks asks for another miracle, he has to do another miracle as well. So that Heilo Yaminu Li in retrospect is like Moshe Rabbeinu saying, I don't have a miracle. I'm going to go to B'nai Yisrael and tell them this is it, the time is coming. You understand that there was a little bit of a problem with the dates. Because Hashem told Avram Avinu, how many years would they be in Mitzrayim? 400. And how many years were they in Mitzrayim? 210. So when Moshe Rabbeinu comes to B'nai Israel and says, this is it, 
let's go. So B'nai Yisrael would rightly say, uh, we know in our tradition that Avram Avinu was told 400 years, and now it's only 210 years. In order for us to believe that you are God's messenger, you have to give us an oath, a sign, a miracle. That's what every prophet, who was not known as a prophet, had to do. Moshe Rabbeinu was coming to B'nai Yisrael cold. He had no history with them. I mean, he had a certain history, but not everybody knew it. So the Halo Yaminu, Halo Minu Li, the Leishbu Bikoli, Kiyomru Lomir Elecha Hashem, seems to me to be a perfectly reasonable thing for Moshe Rabbeinu to say. Why should they believe him? It was the wrong date. And Moshe Rabbeinu was a non-personality. But, uh, <coughs> okay. But we will see that Chazal take it a little bit differently. To me, I said that it's a perfectly reasonable thing for Moshe Rabbeinu to say. How is he going to convince anybody that he is God's messenger? Just say that you're God's messenger? Is that, you know, today if somebody comes and says he's God's messenger, you put him in the insane asylum, right? It was the, uh, the assumption is the opposite. That to say that you're the God's messenger, it's like a code for saying that you're crazy. Which is also interesting. The second pasuk, That's how you read the pasuk. Ma zebiyadecha vayome mate. Ma zebiyadecha vayome mate. So it's written, you see, the way in parentheses, these sort of like strange parentheses, it has a name, I don't remember what it is. You know what that sign is called? No, brackets are square. Or they're called square brackets. But, and then they're round brackets. And this is something else. Angle bracket. Is that true? Yeah? Oh, angle bracket. That's good. I like that. Ma zebiyadech is how you read it. Ze, the word ze, is a, is a pronoun of pointing. Ze. Ma zebiyadech, which means, it, it's called, in, in English, it's called a dectic pronoun, which is a way that people who want to confuse other people say we can't use the easy uh, uh, formulation which is pointing that will make up something more difficult and then no one will understand what we're talking about and, and he said Moshe made an answer and said to Mateh Rashi says why are the words which are two words uh, uh, written as one to learn from this, that you are going to be smitten. That you um, suspected those who are kasher, that means the people of Israel, but they Israel, that they're not going to listen to you. Well, why shouldn't they listen to you? Of course they're going to listen to you. He says, Shuto, 
The chat of the pasuk is Kadam Shabel Chavirov Moda Atash Zoshel Lefanecha Eveni Omelohein Omelahareni Yoseltcha Eight. He says like a a person who says to his friend says to him, Do you admit that this is a a stone? Like you point at a stone and you say, Is that a stone? And you say, Yeah, yeah, that's a stone. So he says, you're a tree. You know, in other words, it was, it's a way of insulting somebody. It's a way of insulting. So Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, and he says, so, so uh, it's like Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I know that's a mate. But what about your arm? So your arm deserves to be punished. Your arm deserves because you said something about B'nai Yisrael that you shouldn't have said. That's what, so there, like a simple shot, as I see it, is that it's not a, a, a conflict of interest. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, that Moshe Rabbeinu said, I, I haven't got a miracle. I can't convince anybody if I don't have a miracle. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Moshe Rabbeinu said, And so Moshe HaKadosh Baruch Hu will say, well, you're going to use the Mateh to have a miracle to show B'nai Yisrael, right? You have this whole, this whole thing. So they took Shatim. Rashi says, Mazabiyadecha means, you know, it's your hand that's really at issue here. Why did you say what you said? You deserve to be punished. The third passage, there is a bona fide miracle as we shall see, a, a staff that becomes a snake. And then the Pasuk says, Vayanas Moshe Lipanas. This is like a little bit, uh, why did Moshe Rabbeinu run away? Why did he run away from the snake? I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that it was God's snake. So it's like a monafshah. Either you don't have to run away, or if you run, it's not going to do you any good. So why do Moshe Rabbeinu run? So Rashi says this, Vayivin Achash, Ramaz lo shisipeh l'shon arav Yisrael v'chipeh v'tafas u'manoto shel nachash, tafas. He was like the snake. He was like the snake. What did the snake, what did the snake do? Uh, he said something which caused tremendous uh, a tremendous disaster in Am Yisrael. He said something. What did he say? He said, you can eat. You can eat. And then they went and they ate. That's what happened. He, uh, he Moshe Rabbeinu, was acting like the snake. He was saying things that you shouldn't say. He was bringing something that should not be brought Pesuk Dalit, Vayom Hashem Moshe Shlachna Yeshlach Yadcha Vechos Biznavo. He said, "Grab onto the tail of the snake, Vayishlach Yado Vechazek Bo Vehilamateh Bekapo." That's good, no? Excessive. What does Rashi say? Rishon Achizahu Vabeish Vamikra. One pasuk, another pasuk, a third pasuk. Kalashon chizuk hadavuk lebet 
That's what Rashi said. He grabbed onto it physically. But why did he have to grab onto it physically? And why couldn't the snake just snake itself away into the stones? And what difference did it make? That Moshe Rabbeinu grabbed onto the snake. Another passage. So what do you think about that miracle? He put his hand into his cloak. He saw his hand. He took it out. And he saw his head was covered with the white of Sarat. The white of Sarat of leprosy. Only thing we know about leprosy is that it's white. Don't go too much else about it. But he, Moshe Rabbeinu knew it was leprosy. Mitzorat Kishelek. Rashi says, Derech Tzorat Liyotivana. Ma'af ba'ot zeh ramaz shelishon haratzipeh ba'omro. Wow. According to Rashi, both the Nachash is chosen because he took Russian Hara and, and, and the Tzarat is, so is chosen also because he took Russian Hara. But it's not, it, it, listen, it's not Russian Hara. It's something else. What do you mean? Everybody assesses the situation. Moshe was concerned about fulfilling the directives he wanted to succeed. He said, the people are not going to listen to me. Why should they listen to me if I don't have any miracles to offer? And in fact, HaKadosh Baruch Hu seemingly agreed with Moshe Rabbeinu because he offered him two miracles. The staff turning into a snake and his arm turning into, into leprosy. And Rashi says about both of those miracles that they are chosen in order to emphasize the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu is being berated for what he said about B'nai Yisrael. Because apparently, I guess, he should have said, how should I do this? How will I accomplish it? But Moshe Rabbeinu used very unfortunate language. And the unfortunate language that he used was, Hein lo yaminu li. Emunah, and after all, the issue of history, the issue of Jewish history until they came to Eretz Israel was the issue of Emunah. That's what it was. Emunah is is the uh, the uh, uh, faith that you have that the divine promise will be carried out. I may not know when it will be carried out. I may not know how it will be carried out, but it's based on Yisrael. Is on Yisrael because they're based base themselves on a kind of faith proposition. God will save us. God will take us out of Eretz Mitzrayim. So that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, while it is apparent to me that he meant to say something correct, he used unfortunate language. That they don't have faith. And Rashi, therefore, interprets both miracles. The miracle of the Staff, snake, and the miracle of the leprosy as somehow being connected to the unfortunate language that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moshe Rabbeinu used. (coughs) 
פסוק זין, פסוק זין is ויאמר השב יאכל חיקך והשב ידור חיקו ויוציאה מחיקו והנה שבה כבשרו. He put his hand back into his coat, he took it out and everything was, was just fine. Rashi says ויוציאה מחיקו והנה שבה כבשרו מכאן שמידה טובה ממהרת לבוא במידה ממידת פורענות. שהרי בראשונה לא נאמר מי חיקו. אם הוא הזין פוסק וו, הבינו ידך בחיקו. הבינו ידך בחיקך. So what doesn't it say in the first time around? What? So therefore, it's second time went faster. So Rashi says that the extra pasuk or the extra words come to teach us something. This is like a Rashi idea. This is a Rashi idea that even the Torah is not telling me anything that has to do with the story it's telling, that's being told. As long as it's telling me something that's important for me to know for my life, for the future, for my family, all of that is, uh, becomes, becomes reasonable. פסוק ח' והים לא יאמינו לך ולא ישבו לכל האות הראשון והאמינו לכל האות האחרון. Again, this reminds us of the dinim of prophecy. If a prophet comes and he does a miracle, like he says, tomorrow it'll be like 30 degrees centigrade, the sun will shine, all the people from Eilat will come to Yerushalayim, where will really be world war, and if it works, so that's called a miracle. That's called a miracle, but the people will say, oh, that's not really a miracle. You listen to the BBC News, and they said it's going to be very hot in Yerushalayim. So they can ask you for another miracle. That's what it says here in the post about Moshe Rabbeinu. That this is a normal thing. This is what God says to Moshe Rabbeinu. This is normal. It's normal for people to be rejectionist about the first miracle. Miracles are a little hard for us. A little hard for us to associate reality with God. <laughs> Even though that should be an easy thing to do, but for us it's difficult. So he says, That is what is going to happen. And Rashi says, That This is the discussion. Why should they listen to the second and not to the first? Well, they don't listen to the first because they don't listen to the first. Well, why should they listen to the second? So Rashi says, Rashi says, because if you tell them, you if you tell them that you became leprous because of what you said about B'nai Yisrael, they make a connection. The connection to Paro, to Abimelech, And, and, and who, who uh, tried to do something against B'nai Yisrael, and they were afflicted. They also became uh, afflicted by, by Tzara'at. 
the last pasuk. What? It's true that there are other people, but that hadn't happened yet. No, I know, but I'm saying the leprosy. Leprosy is the thing for That's true. Right. So they won't believe the first, but they'll believe the second. So it sounds like this is not the Makkah of Dam, which was a Makkah against the shrine. This is the third option. This is the third option. Now, in fact, in fact, in the Chumash, if you remember, when Moshe Rabbeinu came to B'nai Yisrael, he did the miracle of the Mateh. But it's not at all clear that he did the miracle of the Tzavtzarat. And it's probably true that he did the third miracle, the miracle of... At the end of the parish of Shemot, at the end of the parish of Shemot, it's not on the sheet, but I will. Moshe and Aaron come to B'day Yisrael. One second. Moshe and Aaron came to the, the Jewish people. That's what it says in the Pasuk that Moshe and Aaron, Aaron did it. He did the signs. He made the signs, but it doesn't say which signs. Which signs he did? Now, the word otot is plural. Right? The word otot is plural. Now, how many signs are there? The theory. There are three, right? There's the makeh, that becomes a snake. That's one. Then there's the hand, Moshe Rabbeinu put into his uh, cloak. And then there's the dam, which Hashem said here in this, uh, on the sheet, you see that God said, if, if you need a third sign, we'll do the dam. Whereas in the Torah it says, by the Gebarah says many times, the minimum of plural is always two. Right, so if the Pasuk says by Otot, that Aaron did Otot, how many does that mean? How many Otot 
does he have to have done? Two. Now we know that when Moshe and Aaron went to Paro, and that's the... Uh, Okay, we went to Paro, there was no leprosy. There's no leprosy. So according to Rashi, according to Rashi, when Rashi wants to learn it, when they came to B'nai Yisrael, what were the two otot that Moshe and Aaron used? The mater and the leprosy. Why do I know that? How do I know that according to Rashi? Because Rashi said that that was what B'nai Yisrael was going to say to, uh, what Moshe and Aaron were going to say to B'nai Yisrael. Look at the Rashi. Uh, you see Rashi Pasukhet that we just read? Ve'aminu lekol ha'otacharon. Mishetomalahem, you, Moshe and Aaron, are going to say to them, B'nai Yisrael, Bishvilchem li'akiti so that means that the message to B'nai Yisrael was twofold. There were two messages. One message was that I, Moshe Rabbeinu, am going to lead you out of Mitzrayim, and here are the miracles that prove that God has sent me, that God is with me, that God is leading me, etc., Right, that's the miracles. But secondly, I see, he said to Moshe, Moshe said to B'nai Yisrael, you have to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so concerned about Am Yisrael that when I said, lo li, I was punished twice for that. First, the miracle of the staff and the, and the snake. And secondly, the miracle of the leprosy. So we see the point to Rashi that the otot that the two signs that Moshe and Aaron gave to B'nai Yisrael were the Mateh and the Tzarat. The Mateh and the Tzarat. Now, if we go to the encounter between, B'nai, between Moshe and Aaron and Paro, that's at the bottom of the page. In other words, this is a personal, just as it's a perfectly reasonable thing for uh, B'nai Yisrael to ask for, it's a perfectly reasonable thing for, for, for Paro to ask for. Like Paro says, you know, uh, who are you? What company do you work for? Uh, what's your, uh, where's your CV? So, I finish both with the motion, I don't keep the American Paro, they both look at both faith. So, Aaron is going to do the thing with the Mateh. Right? And that the Mateh, right, the Mateh is going to turn into a, a Tanin. Now, of course, you know that that differentiates the first story from this story, because the first time around, what did the Mateh turn into? Anachash. Nachash? Why did it turn into a Nachash? According to Rashi, Rebbe's for the Nachash, what the Nachash did. So now when we're to, that's what we're talking to B'nai Israel, they can make that reference. But we are talking to Paro, it's not really about a Nachash, it's not really about Lashon Hora. So, Tanin, Tanin, that's a good word for Paro. 
What? It fits with Rashi or not? <coughs> oh, the Rashi here, good. Enochinami. What does Rashi say? Mofet. Otlo diashiyesha suruf b'mei shusholech etchem. And letanim, he says nachash. What does that mean? It means on the level of the dictionary, there's no difference between the word nachash and the word tanin. But that doesn't mean that there's no difference between them. There is a difference between them. And the Torah uses the word nachash first, they use the, the word tanin second, for a good reason. Tanin, a different kind of snake. Not a nachash, but a tanin. Vayikra gam paro lechachamim lechashvim vayasu gam hen chadumei mitzrayim belatehem kein. So, so he didn't believe in Moshe and Aaron. Or, if he believed in Moshe and Aaron, he believed that they were just you mean um, people who knew this kind of magic, right? Some kind of magic. So you see again, Rashi So Rashi says, uh, what would be the point of having one snake swallow up? Other snakes. Isn't that what happens all the time? Don't snakes eat other animals? Let's say yes. <laughs> Even though I haven't, like, I didn't have the strength to check it out in some ancient National Geographic magazine that I have. You know, they have those horrendous high uh, quality photographs of animals doing strange things. So I'm sure you could find a python eating a little pig as it like squishes its way down into the innards of the uh, python. But I don't know if it was a python. That, uh, but here you see, you see that, as Chazal say, the miraculous nature of the event would not be enhanced by a snake eating other snakes. But imagine a staff eating other snakes. That's really something, right? That's really something. But we know that this had no effect on Paro. This had no effect on Paro. Why did it have no effect on Paro? I mean, I think we would be a little amazed to see a staff eating up a bunch of snakes. But Paro was not impressed. Why was Paro not impressed? They didn't do the same thing. The Chazumim turned the mate into a snake. But the snake, but, but the, uh, the staff of Aaron, Aaron grabbed the snake, his snake, and it became a staff again. And then Rashi explains the Pasuk that the staff ate the snakes. So there were the two levels of miracles. And staff eating snake is pretty serious. Nevertheless, uh, it must be that Paro came to the conclusion the what? Uh, well, yeah, like there could be... Yeah, I, I may not have the best magicians, but it's a magic issue. And if I could go and find better magicians, 
they would certainly be able to do the same thing that Aaron did. And this becomes the essential question in Yisiyat Bitzrayim. That B'nai Yisrael saw it one way and the Mitzrim saw it a different way. How did the Mitzrim see it? The Mitzrim was magic. So even the most oppressive punishment, the killing of the firstborn in Mitzrayim, did not really affect Paro and his soldiers who came running after B'nai Yisrael after this terrible tragedy of all the firstborn in Mitzrayim being killed. It, had, it, it was not a battle that Paro was willing to concede because it was a battle of magicians and not a battle of, of God. Whereas B'nai Yisrael once they were convinced about the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu, once they were convinced about the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu, and what convinced them about the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu that they were otot, and that Moshe Rabbeinu's relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu was such that he was punished. He was punished for a discretion. It was not it was not that Moshe Rabbeinu somehow was leading God into this battle, but it was clear to B'nai Yisrael that Moshe Rabbeinu was an agent of God. Because, as Moshe Rabbeinu said, according to Rashi, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was willing to punish Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what, that's what, uh, uh, what it says. And even though the punishment of Sarat the particular punishment of Surat was very uh, was very mild. I mean, after all, Bajrai put his his hand in his cloak and he took it out and put it back again. I mean, it was it was not as though he suffered long term Surat. Uh, but uh, people understood. The people understood that God was leading Moshe Rabbeinu and taking him to task about what he was doing during this period which would lead up to Yitziat Mitzrayim. And because of that, they had faith in Moshe Rabbeinu. They had faith that Moshe Rabbeinu represented God's will. That was the faith that they had. Whereas Paro, Paro had his only, the way he understood it was that there was some magical uh, uh, exercise going on and that that magical exercise, that that magical exercise could be... Uh, met and even overwhelmed by the proper magicians. Now you know that in fact the Khartoubim and the Shrine were able to simulate Dam and Sardea and Kinim. Dam and Sardea and Kinim, the the magicians in the Shrine were able to simulate after a fashion. Not after a fashion. Maybe not exactly the same, not exact, not, maybe not as, as oppressive or offensive, but they were able to simulate what, um, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did through Moshe and Aaron. So we see that, and from the very beginning, miracles are not the answer to the question. I mean, you can't use a miracle. And that the miracle will... 
will affect everybody in such a way that they will have to knuckle under to the miracle. The story of Yitziat Mitzrayim is, after all, the story of not accepting the force of the miracle. That's, that's Paro. Paro withstood it. He was a man of great stubbornness. But the reason that he was so stubborn was apparently that he lived in a world of miracles. He lived in a world of Chachamim, of Chartumim, of Yoatzim. Right? And, and uh, it may be that we could blame Yosef a little bit for that. A little bit. There was Yosef. Yosef was a magician an economics magician. And it was clear to everybody that even though Yosef himself was certain that he was being supported and abetted by God, the Egyptians didn't think so. The Egyptians just thought he was clever. He could deal with, with uh, dreams. He could make decisions about taxes, income taxes, properties. I mean, you can make those kind of decisions in a, a very positive way. That was Yosef. So Yosef, uh, uh, Yosef was the one who did not, who hid himself, right? Yosef lived in Mitzrayim, but he did not present a clear picture of himself. He was not the person getting the answer from God. He was the person who was able to answer the question. He wasn't getting the interpretation of the dream from God. He was. But the people in Mitzrayim saw him as another one of those people who interpret dreams. You remember? Yosef came and Paro brought in all his dream people. And they all tried to figure out what the dreams meant. And then came Yosef. And even though Yosef said, in a kind of formulistic way, whatever I say comes from God, etc., I'm sure that Paro looked upon Yosef as another one of those being interpreters. And that was... It was like, like an interesting thing that the, the major culture determines the standards for the minor culture. Even though the minor culture may be thinking that they're living in their own world. Like the Israel living in Eretz Goshen, they said, we're living with God. God tells us to do this, we do this. Whereas the Egyptians, the major culture, they said, no, no, they're not living with God, they're living with magic. They're living with dream uh, interpreters. They're, dream, they're the same as us. They're the same as us. Okay, they have big noses. Okay. Ain't my lesson. But they're basically the same as we are. And they have the same goals and we identify them. That's as many uh, uh, commentaries have pointed out. Pointed out that, that, that there's the danger of the galut. It was when the non-Jews, when the non-Jews persecute the Jews, then the Galut is certainly not going to be successful. Because when, when I'm persecuted, I, I draw into myself. 
identity strengthened when they persecuted uh, yeah look all the people all the, the Jews who left Spain and then the Jews who left England and the Jews who left Portugal were always able to reestablish themselves right and they lived they lived on they lived on but, but in, in America where there is no uh, formalized persecution not from a church or not from a, um, a government agency so we see that the rate of of um, intermarriage and, and, and all that that implies is tremendous because the primary culture is not going to let you be different you know they want you to be the same and we also want to be the same. I and mean, we, who are still living in America, we want to be the same, right? In other words, we want to go out with our non-Jewish friends to a restaurant that looks like a non-Jewish restaurant, but has a very small kosher sign in the window someplace. What? No, you don't have to be guilty. It's kosher. But, I mean, you know, the idea is that kosher is okay. You know, it's, it's not something that you have to be nervous about. So this is what, this is what we see in reading the parasha. I would like to, I would like to also, if you turn the page over, you see there's a section that has a lot of words in it. I hope that I can uh, get through this. It's called Mama Tchiat HaMeitim LaRambam. The Rambam wrote a letter about Tchiat HaMeitim the revival of the dead which was a principle of faith that the Rambam accepted and in the last section it's called Terry Judy it's not really the, uh, somebody did it you know whoever printed it the most of the Rafsuk people they printed it they divided it up into sections and the last section the last section is about miracles and the Rambam has something interesting to say about the miracles in the tribe. You know that generally speaking, the Rambam did not believe that miracles serve a positive purpose. Generally speaking. The Rambam thought that in the desert, for example, when there are a lot of miracles, those miracles were, we could call them perhaps, pragmatic miracles. Like the Jews, they needed water. They needed water, right? So they couldn't call up May Aden and say, send in trucks. So they got water out of a rock. Now, it's true that water doesn't usually come out of a rock, but it was not for some religious reason that the water came out of a rock. It was just that all the spigots were closed. Couldn't get your water any other way. So for the Rambam, generally speaking, miracles are irrelevant. And why are they irrelevant? Because if they couldn't convince Paro, how are they going to convince me? You know, it's sort of like uh, today, nobody expects, I think, nobody expects a miracle, even though it's true that the word miracle is used often. You know, like, I had a miracle, and a miracle happened to me, whereas... Uh, uh, people who are a little less um, effusive about things like that, they think about the statistics, you'd find out that, you know, strange things happen all the time. And that just because something strange happened, but it doesn't mean it was a miracle. And it's always the two ways, like somebody crosses the street against the red light, 
There's a red light, you cross the street because you're not thinking. Right? That only happens to everybody once a day. Minimum. You're crossing against the red light and a car comes barreling down and screeches to a stop and switches around this way and you're safe. So what do you say? Or you say, what should you say? You should say, what an idiot I am for crossing the street in that way and sit down on the floor and do penance of some sort. Instead, what do you say? Oh, it's a miracle. Let's have a shootout's mitzvah. Because God saved me from this terrible... What do you mean God saved you? Who got you there in the first place? So you have to be... You have to, you know, the Rambam says, at the end of the, the Guide to the Perplex, the Rambam says that Hashkocha Protis, you know what Hashkocha Protis is? Divine watchfulness. You know, God watches you like you're crossing the street and the car is coming and God like picks you up and then the car goes by and then puts you down again. He says that happens to very few people. The Rambam says. He what? Say what? Yeah, sort of. But in chapter 51, in the third part of the Moran Nebuchadnezzar, he says it very clearly. He says, just because Zayed, you know Zayed? That's, uh, Zayed is the Arab version of Jack Cohen. He's the Arabic Jack Cohen. He if Zayed is walking along, I guess in Medina or something, and he steps on a cockroach or some other animal of that size. What would you say? Would you say that God in his infinite wisdom determined that that cockroach had had it? You probably wouldn't. You'd probably say it doesn't work with Ashkoch Pratis. So the Rabbah said that's the way it is. Most of us are like Zayd and the cockroach. And we have to watch out for ourselves. How is it? What? Does the Rambam say how we know if it's Hashkacha Protis or not? I don't think so. I'm just that the Rambam insists that there could be Hashkacha Protis for very special people. I know that, that you should know that the Rambam had a very difficult life. You could say the Rambam's talking about himself. Like you say, you erase a person and you put in me. I can say, my God, the God certainly has to resolve for this for me. I mean, look at what I did in my life. But you know that the Rambam from the age of 12 until about the age of 20 did not have a home. He, he, he was uh, traveling with his family looking for a safe place to stay. It was very difficult. They had a very difficult life. And when the brother, his brother, who was a merchant, when his boat sank with all the, all the family uh, holdings, so that it was really terrible. It was really terrible. So even the Rambam could not say clearly that God would say, look, he's going to write the Yad HaZakah. Give him a break. Give him a room. Right? They have brought up a couple of fluorescent lights so you can see what he's doing. No, nothing. Nothing. All right. So the Rambam was not a, a great fan of miracles. And yet, in this Mamar Chis Mason, the Rambam says something that is very important. I will try to read uh, at least a part of it. 
says, I want to add something that doesn't have anything to do with Tziat HaMetim, necessarily. He said, sometimes miracles, we call a miracle something that we think could not ever take place in nature. For example, there you go. He says, that's a miracle. That's certainly a miracle because in Teva, it could never happen. Whatever I know about Teva, I know that whatever it is that makes up a, a mate, a staff, could not then turn into a snake. Right? Could not. Ushkiyata Aretz Badat Korach, and he says, remember when the earth opened up and the Korach and his people were swallowed up, that's also Nifla, that's a, a nace. Utkiyat Ukbekiyat Hayam, and when the sea split and the Jews went through and got to the other side. So you understand that the Rambam has a certain point of view. Now, how does the Rambam know? How does the Rambam know that this is the case? How does he know that a staff can't become a snake? <coughs> okay, so it happened. A lot of things you, you don't see happen for the first time. A lot of things happen for the first time. How does he know that when the earth opened up and the people of Korach were swallowed up, that that's a miracle? How does he know that Kriyat Yamsuf is a, is a miracle? Surely, without a doubt. How does he know? The answer is because the Torah says it's a miracle. That's the Rambam's source of information. The Rambam would say, if you would say to the Rambam, look, who knows, another hundred years, more scientific investigation, more learning about earthquakes and the earth opening, and etc. It might look more reasonable. The Rambam would say, yes. It looks more, it, it could be. But if the Torah says that Kriyat Yamsuf is a miracle, and that God engineered it, it's a miracle. And therefore, the Rambam has figured out a way to say it correctly. So now, look at what it says. There's another kind of miracle that's called a miracle. And those are the ones that are possible according to nature, according to science. Locusts. The locusts, there was a plague of locusts. So could there be a plague of locusts in Mitzrayim? It could be. So that's what he calls a natural kind of... In, in other words, it's not natural that it happened on that day, as the Rambam will say. But this is what happened in the tribe. So which is the greater miracle? The Makeh or the Arbeh? So according to the Rambam, the Makeh that turned into a snake is a much greater miracle than the Arbeh, the Barad, and the Dever. Because 
because, because after all, those kinds of things happen sometimes. There's sometimes a great drought someplace in the world. Or, or you're affected by, uh, by Arbe. What's Arbe? Locust. Right? Once every 19 years in Baltimore. What? Cicadas. 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 That's what it's called? No, no, 19, 19 years? No. So there you are. Baltimore is the, is the center of miraculous locust intervention. I mean, it's ridiculous. There must be some reason that they come up every 19 years, but nobody thinks it's a miracle. So there are miracles that have to do with when they took place. So he talks about a few others. And then he look, if you look at line 8. He says, these things, these miracles that are regular become miracles in the following instances. Echad, line 8 at the end of the line. Etc. In other words, the timing of it. The Navi says, now there's going to be our bet. Now it's going to, you're going to really get it from these locusts. That makes it a miracle. Then there's the Atanaya uh, Sheni, which is on line 11. Zarut The unlikelihood. That's what, that's what it says in the Pasuk. There's never been a locust attack like this one. So that that also could make it into a, a miracle. Something that is, that is unnatural. And the Tanaya Shlishi line uh, 14, see line 14 at the end. And if you look at, at the list of curses that God uh, left us with, if you don't keep the Torah, this will happen and that will happen. The other thing will happen, the fourth thing will happen. It's any one of those things would not be considered to be a miraculous or divine. But it's the conflation of all of them together. Conflation of all of them together which makes me into, uh, makes me believe that it is, that is divine. Then, the Ramam goes on and says, says, I mean here in this, in this section, the Ramam goes on and says, remember the miracle of the Matek. Remember the miracle of the Matek. Why was it that God told Moshe and then Aaron to grab the Matek and it would, the snake, I'm sorry, and it would turn back into a mate. Why did you need miracle number two? Why do you need miracle number two? Because he says, he, the Rambam, says that if only the first part of the miracle had taken place, people would think that it was a magician's act of duplicity, that somehow he had something that looked like a mate, but it was really a snake. So when he threw it down on the floor, it became a snake. Okay, but when you pick it up again, and it turns into a mate, or as Rashi says, based on Chazal, that the mate ate 
the other snakes, the maquette, the wooden maquette, ate the other snakes of the magicians, then you know that it must be, that it must be a miracle. So you see, according to the, uh, according to the, uh, all, all that we've learned tonight, I think it would be reasonable to say, particularly reasonable to say, that Yitziat Mitzrayim, Yitziat Mitzrayim had this great lesson for Am Yisrael. We could still ask, why the Jews were enslaved in Mitzrayim for 210 years, what did they get out of that? But Yitzhak's Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt, was programmed and designed by heaven. And what the programming and the design of heaven was supposed to prepare them for was the encounter with HaKadosh Baruch Hu on Har Sinai. God and B'nai Yisrael were going to meet at this spiritual moment. In order to meet at Har Sinai, they had to have the right idea. They had to have the right idea about God. And the right idea about God was that God was in control of the world. And that whatever God wished to happen would happen. And that's true about the dominance of the and the Kinim and the Arova, the Dever. And the reason that the Egyptians were not impressed by all of that was because they had a misunderstanding about God. And their misunderstanding about God was dependent on the fact that there were other powers that were able to, to have an effect. Along came uh, Moshe and Aaron and Tziat Mitzrayim and they're going to say, listen, in order for you to be prepared to leave, to leave Eretz Mitzrayim to go to get the Torah, you have to know some things about God. Of course, there isn't much that we can know. But you have to know some things. And one of those things is that, is that divine power has no parallel in this world. Are there magicians? Yes, there are magicians. But if you look at the world with a preconceived notion, I mean, that's what being religious is. By the way, that's also what being non-religious is. As you have to choose your preconceived notion. But if your preconceived notion is that God is in control of the world, that doesn't mean that there are no other forces that have limited control in that world as well. And it doesn't mean that there won't be uh, times when you are confused and find difficult to understand what is going on. And I tell you, I learned a Torah of Rav Nachman today. Rav Nachman says, <laughs> remember the Rambam? Rav Nachman doesn't quote the Rambam, he doesn't like the Rambam. But we can, we'll quote the Rambam, because we like the Rambam. The Rambam says, the Rambam says, how can it be, how can it be that God is in charge and knows everything that's going to happen, and we still have free will. That's the Rambam's question. The Rambam's answer is, look, you don't understand everything. Some things you don't understand. That you don't understand. That's the way it is. So according to the Rambam, according to the Rambam, it's an important, it's an important thing to, to remember, faith overwhelms the question. Which doesn't mean 
that you shouldn't answer questions that could be answered. But in this case, it's, it's a wall. There's nothing you could do to help yourself with that question. So the only thing that you have left is faith. The only thing you have left is the way Rav Nachman of Grasov puts it is that religious questions are there in order to prove that you need faith. Because if you didn't have any questions, if any questions had an answer, you wouldn't need faith. It would all fit in. You say, how does God, how does God know what's going to happen? And I would still have free will? You say, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So that's not a question. But because it's a question, it demands, it demands my, it demands my faith. So the Yisrael leaving Mitzrayim were confronted by a faith question. And what confronted them with this faith question were the Egyptians. And all the Jews knew about the Egyptians. And they met them in the street and they said, Why don't you give in? Why are you willing to put up with this kind of misery and punishment? The Jews, who lived in Eretz who were walking around and talking to the Egyptians, and they said to the Egyptians, Why? Why are you accepting this level of punishment? And they said, we don't believe that what you think is happening is happening. What did the Jews believe? Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And what did the Egyptians believe? It wasn't happening. It's true that the gods got themselves a little mixed up in heaven somehow. And there was a lot of pain and punishment that was raining down on the Egyptians. But who said that it had to end with the Yitzhak Mitzrayim for the Jewish people? Who said that? Why did it? Isn't it just as likely that after any Makkah it's over? That the Egyptians were making all these, all this, that the magicians were making all this trouble are no longer able to make this? Isn't that true? Have you were Egyptian sitting in your villa in the backyard, taking the sun, and they said, well, and you said, it must be over. They can't do it anymore. We've made it this far. Let's keep at it. And the Jews said to them, but you don't understand. It's Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's not going to end until we leave Egypt. So they learned. They learned that your vision of faith is very much dependent on your assumptions about the reality in which you live. So B'nai Israel thought that they were living in the 400 years that Hashem promised Avram Avinu would take place before Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So it all made sense to them. But for the Egyptians who had never heard of the divine promise and had no reason to believe that it determined history, the Egyptians were just waiting for it all to come to an end. For Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron Akkoin to be unable to bring another Makkah, another Makkah in the world. So that the Makkah themselves became a lesson. It was something that the Yisrael had to learn. Because when they came to Eretz Yisrael, as they were warned many times, they found people who were devoted to idolatry. 
And people devoted to something are contagious. And so the Torah warns them again and again, even though it was largely, or was unsuccessful. <coughs> the Torah warns them again and again that they have to stay away from idolatry because the world was idolatrous. And since Nisvara, like being idolatrous, is not so unreasonable. As the Rabbin said, the beginning that the people looked at the sun and the moon and the stars and they came to the conclusion that God had assistants, associates, uh, people that, or, or objects that should also be served. Right? That the sun was, was in charge of life and the moon was in charge of the tides, which again created life. Then why, uh, why shouldn't they also be served? That's the Ramam. The Ramam says that they give also for the Zorah. Have a good Shabbos. After Wednesday, you can say good Shabbos. Hey, remind me.